Good afternoon. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. This is our once a month show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eventually, we'll get back to live broadcasting, but today we are taping the show, so we can't have any listeners call in at this time. So this is taped show. I also like to plug my Sunday morning show at 7.30 in the in the morning on Sunday called Pet Sounds. It's a three to five minute short on different topics. Uh, so tune in on Sunday morning if you're awake. So today we have kind of an unusual topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about how pet products are developed and made. And it's a little bit more complicated than you think. And we have someone involved directly in this process. Uh, in full disclosure, he's my brother-in-law, uh, Mark Bennett. Mark, uh, how are you today? I'm doing just great, John. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for spending the time because I know you're a busy guy. Uh, the first thing I'd like to do is just have the listeners um, kind of get it, get to know you. How did you get to where you are? What are you doing now as a job? And how did you get there from, how'd you get here from there? Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm an engineer. I happen to be a mechanical engineer and, um, I, uh, I work for an animal health company. We produce various kinds of animal health products, primarily in the uh, prevention category. And so I specialize in, uh, in the development of new products for this company. And it's quite interesting. I, uh, I arrived in this position after having spent, uh, 23 years as an engineering consultant, where I developed numerous consumer products and packaging, uh, medical devices, and manufacturing systems. And so um, made a transition into this animal health field and <clears throat> was, re, uh, was brought in to assist this company specifically with dental chews for dogs. Were they actually looking for a mechanical engineer or a design engineer? Uh, not specifically, no. I think uh, it just so happened that they had a need for a certain kind of experience. I think there was, uh, in, in this company, it's primarily, um, it is very much a scientific company. So there are a lot of scientists, a lot of um, very well-educated and experienced people who develop uh, the, I would say, the, uh, the chemical natures of the products and the biological natures of the products. But there were not very many people who understood very much about the manufacturing process and then the execution of some, you know, more um, unusual things in that field, such as the production of dental chews. And so the, the need really was to, to bring in somebody from the outside who understood the relationship between a product's design and the process by which you manufacture it in order to deliver on the ultimate efficacy of that product. So how well does it work um, for the dog to, to clean their teeth? And so they, uh, the company had, a, had the bases covered fairly well, uh, again, from a, from a chemistry side, from a um, uh, development side with the bacteria in the dog's mouth and such. Um, but it was really on the execution side where they needed some assistance. So that was why they, they came to me. So you're, you're kind of the person to change or to trans transition a design into an actual product? Yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, so again, my, my background really is taking products from their early concept and turning them into a reality, whether that's 
uh, on a store shelf for a consumer product or in a doctor's office um, for a medical device or in a hospital setting. Um, or in this case, uh, uh, you know, a dental chew that, that allows you to prevent um, buildup of plaque and tartar in your dog's mouth and, and improve their breath and ultimately to help prevent periodontitis. So you had to do some research before you started. Uh, very much design. so, yes. So how did you, how'd you go about learning about dental chews? I know you, you have dogs and you do give them dental products, but that was as a pet owner. But now you're in a, in a uh, research development. So how did you go about getting information to help you start your project? Well, that, that's a great question, John. I think the, uh, I've been very fortunate uh, throughout my previous career and that I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of manufacturing products, a lot of different kinds of products themselves. And so I was able to reapply a lot of what I've learned um, in other industries into the, to the pet healthcare industry. But I did have to, uh, one of the things that was unique for me is a, a dental chew most of them anyway, are classified as food products by the Food and Drug Administration. And so there are certain regulations that have to be adhered to as a result of that. And so um, whether it's the use of, of specific food approved ingredients, um, you have to make sure that you have appropriate um, health and safety measures in place in the manufacturing operation. And you also have to follow regulations from the perspective of um, of filing with the FDA and getting approval to sell your product. And so those are all areas that I did not have experience and had to, had to learn those, some of which I learned from working with my, um, my colleagues, some of which I learned by doing some independent research on my own and, and other things I learned by talking to outside companies, um, people who supply us equipment or supply us with some of the raw materials that we use for our products. So getting back to the regulations, uh, so your regulations were based on uh, the product as a food definition, but how about your claim it, it has some kind of medical uh, advantages that add another layer of, of um, regulations? Uh, absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> and I will admit that that is not an area where I have strong expertise. So I want to be a little careful not to mislead anyone about that. Um, but yes, there are, uh, so dog treats and, and dental treats fall into a couple of different categories They can be uh, classified as food or feed, which believe it or not, those are two different categories. Okay. Um, and, and they have slightly different requirements for that. Um, but in our case, we do have what we refer to as a functional ingredient in this product, which, um, if this were a pharmaceutical, you would consider it an active ingredient, much like you see on you know, on your, uh, your bottle of headache medicine or what have you. Uh, but in this case, since we're not selling a pharmaceutical product, we have, um, we have chosen the term functional ingredient. And what this functional ingredient in our product does is, is to help um, kill the bacteria that causes bad breath in the dogs. And so because of that, you're, you're absolutely right. We did have to go through um, some special regulatory uh, things with the FDA, and they did have to classify our product um, as a particular kind of a device, if you will. Um, but again, that's probably getting a little bit too deep. We may not want to go there, but uh, maybe we what we do say about it is there was an awful lot of effort put in 
uh, to coordinate with FDA to help uh, share data with them about how this product works, um, about where do the raw materials come from, um, but mostly about their safety. You know, it's, uh, it's very important. Uh, most of us think about the safety of, uh, of the medicines that we take as human beings. Um, but I can tell you that the, uh, you know, the safety of the things that we give to our animals is, is just as important and uh, just as closely regulated. So an awful lot of work went into preparing data that was then reviewed with the Food and Drug Administration. And then uh, they provide a, a ruling that essentially says, yes, you can sell this product and this is what you are permitted to say about it. So how much uh, of these rulings dictated uh, your design and function plan? Did you have, once it passed the FDA in terms of general category, then your boss is going to say, okay, you can go ahead and proceed. Or did you have to say, well, what do I have to not or not do or do? Yeah. So typically with these kinds of products, the, um, you know, you, you are in discussions with FDA and, and you have information, background information about what kinds of raw materials you can use in your products and what kind of quality standards you have to meet. But when it comes to, to doing a filing and, and ultimately getting a, um, a ruling from FDA, you actually have to have your product design finished. So a lot of the design work takes place, or I shouldn't say a lot, nearly all of the design work takes place before you finalize your, your paperwork and your discussions with FDA. And so you, you set that up by understanding what it is that you want to do. In our case, um, you know, our company looks at, uh, at, the, um, at the types of animals that we are trying to care for and say, what are, the, what are the conditions that causes these animals to suffer or to have shorter lives or, or that sort of thing? And, and how can we prevent that? because the, um, there's a, a strong belief, and this is something that's instilled throughout, uh, throughout our company, and, and uh, I, I would guess it's shared by many people, is that you know, the health of animals and human beings are very closely intertwined. And so if we improve the health of our, of our animals, then we also improve the health of their human um, counterparts, their human companions, and therefore we are all better in the end by doing so. And the best way that we can improve their health is by preventing conditions that cause, uh, cause suffering and, and can cause them to have shorter lifespans. And so we look at the opportunities that are out there, in this case, um, things like, um, like periodontitis. Um, and in fact, one of the uh, conditions that we address is halitosis or bad breath. And uh, you know, as a veterinarian, that that is often a sign of some other major problem in the, in the animal's mouth. So if we can prevent those conditions from occurring in the first place, then we can provide a healthier environment again for, for the animal and for their human companions. And, and, uh, and it's a win for, for everybody. And so we take a look at that space and we say, where do we think we can do some good with the knowledge that we have? And then uh, using that knowledge, we go through a process of development that if, if you'd like, we can get into it in some more detail, but eventually land at, uh, at a product design that we think um, can work 
functionally uh, for the animal, but then we also have to look at many other aspects of that, you know, from a business perspective and from a legal perspective and from a safety perspective. And so there are many different things that go into considering whether a product will ultimately make it, uh, make it to the market, but it all starts with trying to address a need out there, a need on the part of the animal, a need on the part of, of the human beings who spend their time with those animals. Did this, uh, so let's focus a little bit on the functional part of this and then the safety. Uh, did this company, your company you work for, have that proprietary uh, product that you said was a, uh, not a drug, but a, a functional ingredient? A yes. functional, a functional ingredient. Yes. And did they have that and say, okay, how can we use that? Is, do you think that's how it developed? Did they have the functional ingredient first and they wanted to fit the, you know, fit a product into it? So it's, um, that's really a good question. And, uh, and, and it can happen in many different ways. In this case, that functional ingredient was actually um, being used uh, in human health. Um, and quite honestly, this is the way a lot of these products come about. So that, that functional ingredient was being used in human health um, for a similar purpose, actually. And so uh, our scientists looked at that and they said, wow, this, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to meet a need um, for oral care for dogs. And here's this ingredient that's available out there that's being used for human beings. Um, you know, let's see if it makes sense to use it for dogs. And, and again, if it's, will be safe to do that. And if it's something that, uh, uh, that will be effective um, for dogs. So in this case, the ingredient existed and it was being used in another way. And uh, um, then our, again, our scientists were able to take that information, take that data and uh, develop a, uh, a, a testing plan essentially that confirmed that it was also applicable to dogs. And from there, we, we turned it into this product that, uh, that I deal with. So before you worked on the product, the, your company had to make sure that that um, uh, functional ingredient was safe for dogs. Yeah. So that so was a different area. You didn't have anything to do with that. That's so right. They came yeah. to you and say, okay, we tested this functional ingredient. It's safe. It's not going to hurt anybody. And we think it looks like it's really going to help. So we want you to, to incorporate this into your dog chew. Is that kind of yeah. how it went? Okay. So now they have it. So now what do you do? You're sitting in this office and you say, okay, here's a functional ingredient. We want you to design a dog shoe that's going to use this product and be successful and sell that, a mil million of them. That's right. So then, then we, look at, um, uh, we look at a set of uh, design requirements. So in, in some cases, we, we call them design requirements. In other cases, we, uh, depending on the specific items we're talking about, we may refer to them as a, uh, as a product profile. So we establish a target for a product profile. And, and that's a really important step because in, in our case with this functional ingredient, as we described our, um, our design requirements for this product that contain the functional ingredient, one of the things that the scientists learned as they were uh, evaluating this functional ingredient is that it has to be, uh, it has to spend some time in the dog's mouth, let's say. So there's a, <laughs> there's a residence time that's important. 
Okay. And so for those of you who have dogs, you, you realize that you know, some dogs will, uh, will take something and the faster they can get it down their throat, uh, the happier <laughs> they are. Right. No residence um, time there. <laughs> so, so that was actually one of the challenges, but that was one of the design requirements is we needed this functional ingredient to be resident in the dog's mouth, um, in order for it to, to work effectively. And so, uh, that was a, that was a key question for us. And so we said, okay, how, how can we accomplish that? And so some of the other requirements were that, um, you know, this, this dental chew that we're producing has to be something that the dogs want to eat. And so it has to be palatable. Um, so ultimately, as we look at this product, as well as many other products, we, we consider many aspects of design. Some of those design elements have to do with the ultimate functionality of the product. Some of those design elements have to do with, um, with convenience. So how easy is it to deliver the product? Um, some of those design elements have to do with how appealing it is, um, both to the animal and, uh, and to the pet parent. Right. 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 If people and can't so- be grossed out by it. Exactly, exactly. And so, so we consider many of those things. In the case of this functional ingredient, we said, okay, it has to be resident in the mouth. So the way that we deliver it has to enable that, right? So, um, so that means, uh, you know, in our case, if, uh, if we put this in a dog chew that the dog just bites and swallows instantly, then we will not achieve our goal, right? We will not meet right. our requirement. And so we had to develop a, a chew in this case that takes some time for the dog to eat. And, um, and so, again, you know, there are, um, there are many different uh, dogs and, and many different personalities of dogs. And so, you know, it, it's, it's almost impossible to find one that, meet, that satisfies every uh, dog need. But we, we try to cover you know, I would say, you know, 90 plus percent of the dogs. So if we can, if we can achieve that, then, then we have done some good, right? So we look at how can we design this product that um, stays in the dog's mouth for some time. So the chew takes some, uh, you know, takes some minutes for the dog to chew it. And then while the dog is chewing, this functional ingredient uh, does what we call release into the dog's mouth. So, so the functional ingredient in essence, separates from the rest of the dog chew, and it circulates throughout the dog's mouth and their saliva, and that's where it can do its work. And that way, once the functional ingredient is in the dog's mouth, if they do um, swallow the pieces of the of the dog chew product, then uh, then you know that's okay because we have already delivered that functional ingredient where it needs to be. And then at the same time, that chewing action of the dog biting the chew um, is cleaning their teeth because you can think about it like a uh, like a pencil eraser. You know, it's uh, so it rubs against the dog's teeth in a very gentle fashion and helps to clean off um, the tartar uh, that's that's on the dog's teeth and and helps them keep a healthy mouth in between the times when they uh, go to visit their veterinarian for a regular tooth cleaning. So. So we really try to provide, you know, multiple functionality in this product that we developed. So, so basically two functions, deliver the, um, the, the functional ingredient, uh, have also part of the product have a physical scrubbing of the teeth, like, like brushing. Yes. Then, then you got to think about the safety if they swallow 
part or hull or hole? Uh, what other safety? So how did you? So how do you get around that? So now you're talking yeah. about ingredients. Yeah. So it, it's um, it's really again a number of things. Again, there there are a great many factors to consider when you're doing this. So when you think from a fundamental perspective, and and people who have children um, may think about this more as well, is that you think about the um, um, the size of the object, right? You don't want something that is easy to swallow, but might get uh, lodged in the in, in the child or the dog's throat, right? So you have to create something that's an appropriate size. Um, and so the design of the product from a physical perspective is important because it needs to be sized so that the dog will want to chew it rather than simply trying to swallow it whole. So that's one aspect of it. Um, the other thing that's really important is how well uh, does the does can the dog can the chew be digested by the dog? And so uh, so you want them to to chew it up in their mouth, but eventually they're going to swallow it. And um, and once they do swallow it, you want to make sure that it's fully digestible. So again, you don't have you don't have pieces of this chew that can get lodged in the in the dog's um, systems and create some problems. And so there are, you're right, there are ingredients that are used to make sure that uh, that we have a fully digestible product, but there's also testing that's done to confirm uh, the what, what we call the dissolution of the product, which means how easily digestible is it for the dog. And so those are laboratory tests initially. So we take any new product uh, that we've designed and we run it through a series of, of tests to ensure that it's safety. And then, uh, and that happens before we give this to, to any animals, even uh, animals that are um, receiving a trial, you know, so we see how well that it works. But um, so then as we, we go and, and give the product to some of those uh, trial animals, they're closely monitored and make sure that, uh, again, it doesn't cause any problems. So there are many elements related to the safety that we do. It's both about, you know, obviously the ingredients um, have to be healthy and can't have any toxicity to them, you know, so no poisons for the dog. But we also look at the physical design of the product. We look at how it breaks down um, when the dog chews it and swallows it. And finally, to make sure that it uh, that it passes easily um, through the dog and and doesn't create any other issues such as diarrhea or, or other problems that... Uh, that the pet parent uh, wouldn't expect and can cause other discomfort for the dogs. So there's a whole protocol, series of protocols that we go through to uh, make sure that these products are safe and effective. We're talking with Mark Bennett, a, a mechanical engineer who's working for a, a, a pet company, pet uh, industry company, uh, designing new products. And this is Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. Dr. Hunt, your host. And we're in WERU 89.9 in Orland, Maine. So we'll get back to our uh, discussion about this dental chew. You, uh, you had, you, so you design a product and you imply that you actually made it so that you can give it to a, a trial dog or dogs. So do they... So how so you give this this design to some guy in the back that makes it, or do you go to another company, or how do you get the? It's called a prototype, right? Prototype is kind of the 
the product yeah. that's not finished. Tell us about yeah, that. Absolutely. So, um, so every product uh, that we work on actually goes through multiple phases of prototype. So if we can back up for just a moment, you know, sure. we were talking about, um, about product design and, um, you know, products don't just sort of magically appear in, in their final shape. It takes quite a lot of work to get there. And, and very, again, very often there are many, um, many considerations when you're doing a, a product design. So, um, you know, there, we deal a lot with, um, with the perception of the buyer in this case. So if you think about uh, the pet parent or, and you think about a veterinarian, um, one of the things that, that we consider is how does this product appear to them? You know, does it, um, is it uh, frivolous or is it serious? Does it look like something that, uh, that is going to help um, their animals? So the perception of the product design is important. So we consider um, things like in uh, the development of a shape, you know, does this shape provide the right kind of image that we want for this product? Mm. Um, so some things you want to be a little bit more playful. Some things you want to be a little bit more serious. Some things you want to inspire a, um, a consumer to, uh, to consider because of the way that it looks. So if you are, um, if you are someone who is, uh, let's say, environmentally conscious, you don't want to, you know, try and sell a product that looks like a belching smokestack. You know, you <laughs> you, you have to, t- you know, take some consideration of who is your customer and and what is important to them. And um, and I know that this sounds like maybe a, a bunch of uh, of marketing speak that's that's unimportant and maybe manip- manipulative, but but it's really not. It's really important to the success of the product. And so we look at we look at the image of the product. We look at the function of the product, and as we talked a few minutes ago, we look at the safety. And so all of those things kind of come together to say the product should be about this size, and we're looking for a design that gives this impression. And in our case, we want an impression of something that that is um, a serious oral care, uh, you know, uh, chew. We don't want something that looks frivolous. We don't want something that looks like a treat. And so that all goes into the product design. And then as we, um, you know, you, you asked about prototypes. So initially those designs very often start out as, um, as sketches, you know, there is the proverbial sketch on a napkin and, uh, and you'd be surprised at how many products literally start out as a sketch on a napkin. And, um, and it happens quite often, I can tell you. Having designed hundreds of products myself, I, you know, many of those have started out as a sketch on a napkin. Um, in our case, we we tend to move quickly away from the sketch on a napkin to something <laughs> that's a little bit more sophisticated. And we work with some very talented um, designers. There's a field called industrial design, which is a, um, you know, they're artists who essentially work on product design. And so we engage the services of some um, some outside industrial designers to help us um, really transform the image that we have in our head into something that is first on paper, and then ultimately that is developed by uh, by a computer program um, into a three dimensional model. 
And we are getting to your question about prototypes, believe it or not. So, um, so generally, we go through a round of, uh, of sketches. Typically, these are hand sketches followed by some, some digital sketches that are done on computers. And, and very often, they are, um, they are colored and what's called rendered, meaning they turn into something that looks like a photograph. So we can see, yes, that that image of that product is the kind of image we are trying to uh, trying to develop and convey to our customers. And again, when I say customers, those could be both the consumers in a store, but also can be, you know, very often are the veterinarians, you know, because um, we work very closely with them and, and their input is very important to us. So we want to make sure that the product is taken seriously by them. And it's something that they feel like um, can work and can support. So anyway, our design team goes through uh, development of these, of these concepts um, on paper. Those are then turned into these three-dimensional models that I mentioned. And then very often the, very, the first round of what we call prototypes are, um, are considered alpha prototypes. So it's uh, you know, the Greek letter alpha, um, as in the first prototype. And very often when we look at an alpha prototype, that is considered a proof of concept. So it would not be something that we could give to a dog. In fact, usually it's not even something that's edible. Um, it is, uh, it's a model that, is, that can be made of clay or it can be made nowadays on a 3D printer. I was say, are you gonna, do you use 3D printer? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so it can be made on a 3D printer. It, uh, in some cases, these are, um, these are carved out of um, foam or something and then painted so they might look at the, like a product. And so the purpose of an alpha prototype is to say, does it have the right appearance? Does it have the approximate right size? So we can take some dimensions off of that. We also have some... Um, some physical models of uh, dogs with different types of skulls. And so we look at how the product really would fit in the dog's mouth using these models. And we say, yes, does this look like it's going to be safe and effective? Um, so that's what I mean by proof of concept. We're looking for a demonstration to ourselves. This is again, all within our development team that's doing this work. We're looking to prove to ourselves that this idea has merit and is approximately the right size and the right shape. And then we take that and we go through a, um, another round of, uh, of refinement on these prototypes. And so that refinement could be, maybe we do some slight variations in the shape. Maybe we look at some different colors. Maybe, um, maybe the first time around we said, well, you know, our functional ingredient that we were discussing earlier really needs to go in a slightly different place or it needs to be, um, you know, a, a different shape. And so we go through a round of revisions and that becomes uh, then, uh, as you might expect, our beta prototypes. And so our beta prototypes have gone beyond proof of concept. These then become what we call partially functional. And so um, again, they are typically not edible, but we may make them out of, out of a material that is similar to the final product that we have. And, and when I say similar, I mean similar in its, um, in its physical characteristics. And so how it feels, how it, um, how it breaks apart, um, those kinds of things. And, and that's important for us because 
we will then take those beta prototypes and we'll, we'll again go back to our test laboratory and we will see um, how does that how does that design how does a particular dental chew seem to work in cleaning teeth and so this is where it really gets interesting because we i mentioned to you that we had models of uh of dog different kinds of dog skulls and so we can look at the fit of uh of products into the dog's mouth but we also have uh, models where we can simulate the behavior of a dog chewing a dog chew and um simulate and so, physically or computer wise physically yes yeah. so um although i'll get back to your question about the computer simulation in a moment but um Yes. Yeah, so we look at physically. So we have some uh, some test machines that were developed for us where we can look at. Um, basically, we can mimic a dog chewing and we, we can't cover all of the behaviors of the dog, you know, the dog's mouth. But we can see enough that allows us to uh, to look at our different options. So let's say we have three different types of beta prototypes for for three different um, potential designs. We can compare those three designs together using our um, our simulation technique and say, well, we think design number two is probably the best one. So that's the one that we're going to further refine and, and advance forward in our development process. So you can think about this each step of the way. You're getting more information and you're getting more refinement in your output. So. Um, the way that product design typically works is you start out with maybe a whole bunch of ideas. You know, in fact, some products I've worked on, I've seen as many as 100 different ideas for the execution of that product. And then very quickly, you use some selection techniques to maybe get that 100 down to 50. And um, then you might do some further evaluation, whether those are, um, you know, engineering calculations or there may be some other forms of of mathematical modeling where you can say, all right, um, these products uh, don't look like they will work as well, or maybe these products will be too expensive, or maybe these products will be um, too challenging to manufacture. And so pretty soon your list of 100 goes down to let's say 10. And it might be those 10 that you take through the alpha prototype stage that we talked about earlier. And then coming out of that alpha prototype stage, my objective is to, again, cut that at least in half, but maybe more. Um, so I take those 10 and maybe I'm down to four uh, into the beta prototype stage. And then after the beta prototype stage, I'd like to be down to one or two. And, uh, and those one or two are the ones that go more fully into uh, the product development process where we get back to producing some, uh, in this case, dog chews that we can actually feed to dogs. And so, so the way that we do that is we take the information that we gain from our, from our beta prototypes. We take those designs. Um, very often these chews are made using a, uh, a molding process. And so we have to take our designs and we, um, we fabricate some prototype molds. And when I say prototype molds, those are intended for limited production. So maybe I make a mold out of aluminum and I can make um, 5,000 dog chews from that mold. Um, and then it's worn out, right? And uh, so I have to fabricate these aluminum tools and then I mix my 
uh, raw materials together and I and I do that in the appropriate process, put the material into this mold and I can produce um, sample chews that I can then use for my uh, further testing and my trials with actual dogs. So and, the so the pro so the production of that, you know, like the molds and stuff, is that in-house or do you contract out that to a, a different company? That so you work with? Um, most of that is done externally. Uh, we do have the capability to produce some of those molds using what are called rapid prototyping techniques. So 3D printers, for example, or some other times, types of rapid prototyping. We can do some of that internally, but, um, but usually we find it's more effective to work with outside companies uh, where that is their area of expertise. And so when we do it internally, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's almost like working in your garage. You know, you're, you, you do what you can because you want to learn some things. Um, but then when it comes time to do something that, uh, that you really want to work properly, you go to a professional. And we work very much the same way. So we'll work with an outside company who, whose expertise is creating those molds. And then we'll take that and, and bring it to another company whose expertise is, is producing these trial samples that I mentioned earlier. So we do end up working with a lot of outside companies uh, as part of our development team. Just to step back a couple steps, because I got a little bit confused. When you were uh, talking about the 100 ideas and, and winnowing it down to two or three, those original 100, and I'll just use that as an example number, are those all the ideas that came from your team or were there ideas coming from outside the company? I mean, where did all those ideas come from? Just from you? Uh, another great question. No, it's it's usually not from one person. <clears throat> the um, You know, those 100 ideas will typically come from our uh, our project team, but very often we will invite some people not on our project team to participate in that process. And that and that process is um, it has become known. That, you know, you 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 may have heard the term brainstorming before. You you know you right. uh, you get together and you talk about a bunch of ideas. <clears throat> in the case of product design, and I'm actually not sure the origin of this uh, this word, but it, that has become known as ideation. And so, um, so that is, you know, bringing together a bunch of people who uh, talk about the needs and, and then come up with ideas for these products. And so typically we'll have members of our own product team, which include um, people from our marketing group, people from our quality department, maybe um, colleagues in our regulatory affairs group, other people from manufacturing, um, engineering and maybe even finance and, and, and other functions. Uh, but then we'll, we'll typically bring in some, some outside people to get some fresh ideas. So um, we might have, uh, we might bring in somebody from our legal group. So we'll have an attorney in there. We uh, will definitely use the services of an industrial designer or typically more than one, like we talked about earlier. And so that group together would typically have maybe 10 to 12 people in a in an ideation session, and um, and they'll talk and they'll try and build on each other's ideas, and and we uh, we tend to you know write down on well it used to be when we could get together we'd write down on on big whiteboards a bunch of different ideas or on on big um, pieces of paper, and we'd hang those all around the room, and and it's a, a really a very dynamic 
session. And so you see some ideas and um, and you think about, wow, that's a really cool idea, but it would be even better if we did this other thing. And so it's a, it's a process by which we build on each other's um, thoughts and ideas to, to develop a bunch, of, um, a bunch of concepts. And sometimes these concepts are not complete. For example, if we know we have uh, 10 different critical design requirements, a concept might only address three of those, but that's okay because um, typically as a group, we can then refine those and, and either build up the other seven that we were missing or combine one concept that it, that addresses three of the design requirements with another concept that maybe addressed another five with a third concept that maybe addressed the last few and put those together into, into a winning idea. So the answer to your question is it's typically a big group um, that gets together and and works in a, um, a non-judgmental way. So that is a very important part of ideation is that you, you can't be critical of other people's ideas, but you have to look at it as an opportunity to build on each other. And so um, you, you generally come up with a great you know, number, a large number of concepts. And then uh, the hardest thing then is to decide which ones you're not going to pursue. Who decides that? So it's uh, it's typically a, a group decision, but um, but you know me as one of the uh, one of the developers of the product, I have a, a significant say in that. And so um, very often, what we call our core team members, which might be uh, the the leader from the marketing department working on our development team, uh, would be one of those core team members. Um, me as a, as the representative of the manufacturing operation would be another one of those core team members. We look at the ideas and we will classify them and we'll say, okay, you know, of these hundred, you know, this, this group of them, um, it really doesn't address the need that we have. So our marketing person might say, that's really not the right image. So let's put those on the shelf for now. We're not going to pursue those. Um, I might look at uh, look at those concepts and say, you know, these are some great ideas, but um, we have a specific cost target for this product, and I don't think we can achieve our cost target with this other group of ideas. So, so we we can shorten our list of potential candidates by looking at some of those requirements with a um, with a critical and experienced eye. Um, there are some decision-making techniques that are very often used um, where, uh, you know, again, we don't need to get into the details, but you, you basically rank the concepts according to the critical requirements that you have by scoring them. So, um, you know, you create a big matrix and you one axis of the matrix are the concepts, you know, the number of concepts that you have. The other axis of the matrix are the uh, requirements that you have. And then you score each concept according to how well it addresses each requirement. And then in the end, you can add up all the scores and figure out which of them uh, numerically appear to be the best. So that's another technique that can be used um, as you get, get up further along the way. What's your, your time frame so the listeners get an idea from this concept to the end of the beta uh, stage? Is yeah, very often. Weeks, it's, uh, months, years? It, it's certainly months. Yes. Um, you know, the, uh, if it's a very simple product, you conceivably could go through that maybe in a month um, or, uh, 
or two, but very often it's uh, on the order of six months to go through that process. So when you when you think about product design, and again, uh, a dog chew appears to be something quite simple, right? It's you know when you that's buy, what you think, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, but in fact, it can take uh, it can take a year or more to to develop it, um, and so yes, yeah, so you want to go through. Uh, you want to, you know, it is possible to do things more quickly, but one of the things in my experience that I've found is that time is taking time is valuable. in when you're developing these products, because as you take some time, more and more things become evident about the product that you're working on. And so, um, so you could rush through this and maybe get something done in two months. Um, but you might find that that you ended up with the wrong product in the end. And so it's, it is important to, to take the time. You look at the functional aspects of the product that we talked about earlier. You look about, you look at the, um, at the, um, at the marketing aspects, you know, how well can you present this product to potential customers? You look at the manufacturing side and you say, is this something that I can produce effectively and ultimately, um, uh, you know, deliver benefit to our customers at the same time that we we make money for the company. And so all those things are important and they all take time. And that's um, and, and certainly not last or least, again, are the safety and efficacy things. And so um, so products like Dog Gentle Chews, they go through some pretty extensive clinical studies where you um, you test them with uh, with panels of dogs and uh, under carefully controlled conditions. And you look at, um, you know, how well does it work? So does it keep the dog's teeth clean? And, uh, and those studies take months on their own to run. And, and you typically will have to do multiple rounds of those when you're developing a product. So the long and short of it is it, it is not a short process. Um, it may take, like we said, about six months to get through the beta stage. But then it could easily take another six months to finalize product design from there. So why do you go, knowing you're my, you're my brother-in-law, so I know kind of what you're doing uh, with your new job. I hear from uh, Cindy, your wife, saying, oh, yeah, uh, Mark's in Germany. Oh, yeah, Mark's in Ireland. Oh, yeah, Mark's in someplace else. <laughs> why? Uh, why does this uh, job take you to these places? Wow, that's a really fun question. So, so I get to work with a lot of uh, with a lot of great people, and um, part of my role is actually to to find innovative products and to find innovative ways to produce our products. And so, all those places you mentioned, I, I travel to many places around uh, around Europe and throughout the world. Um, I go there because there's something unique that has uh that's offered by a company or a person in those locations and so i might uh, i might go to ireland because they have you know a very unique way of producing a a different ingredient that we think would be beneficial in our products and so i go there to understand the technology of that ingredient um, again not from a chemistry perspective because i'm not a chemistry person but I understand the technology of how do we make it um, and interpret then whether that technology can be employed in a manufacturing process to produce products that we can then sell to our customers. 
Um, I might go to another location because they have a specific kind of, uh, of equipment that, again, is, uh, might be advantageous either to allow us to produce better products or to produce our existing products more cost effectively. And so, um, you know, one of the foreign parts of my job is, first of all, finding those things. And, uh, and the Internet has become a, you know, a very useful tool um, to know that those kind of technologies and those kind of people are out there. Um, but you really can't assess something uh, remotely very well. And so, so I travel these places to evaluate what they have to offer, but then also to, uh, to develop a relationship with those people. Because if we, if we decide that we want to enter into business with them, then, um, you know, businesses, at least these days, uh, in my mind, um, it's not very effective if it's simply transactional. Meaning, you know, if I wanted to go buy paper clips, I could go buy paper clips and that's a transaction, right? I don't have to worry too much about paper clips. But when we're talking about products that care for animals or, or that are responsible for, for maintaining the health of animals or people, I can't do that really on a transactional basis. I have to develop a relationship in order to have effective communication, in order to understand really what's happening to... Uh, to evaluate risks in order to deliver the best possible products. So this face-to-face -face interaction is really an important part of, um, of developing that relationship and ultimately delivering the best products possible at the lowest cost possible to our customers. Yeah, you mentioned the cost. A cost target is a, a cost target, an actual number that is given to you and you have to meet it, or is it a more vague and you're always aware of it? So it can be either. Um, usually it is a number and uh, that, that number is, again, something that takes a lot of effort to develop. And so as we look at our, at our products and we look at the opportunities uh, when we're considering a new product, um, one of the things that we look at is say, okay, you know, what is, a, uh, what is the value of this? And when we say the value, um, what that really means is, how much does it cost relative to the benefit that it delivers? And so, <clears throat> um, so it's not simply a matter of, you know, how much somebody, you know, ultimately comes down to how much somebody will pay, but they will pay based on value, right? If, um, if you have, uh, if you have a, you know, a medicine or a device that will, that you know, will allow your dog to live for 15 years, you know, what is the value of that to you? How much are you willing to, to pay for that? Um, but it's interesting because it's not strictly a, um, it's not strictly a numbers game, right? We, uh, we also look at uh, what is the, you know, who is our target customer and what is their typical financial situation? And, you know, can they afford something? How much, and, do, how much do they spend on pets too? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, that's uh, that's kind of independent of how much you make. Some people yeah. who don't make a lot of money spend a lot. So you have yeah. to know your your uh, customers, too, I assume. A absolutely. And uh, and you have to know your competition because most of the things that we um, that we produce and we sell are not, you know, they don't stand by themselves in the marketplace. There is other competitive product out there. And so. Um, as we're looking at this value equation, we say, well, how much, 
better as our product than our competition and and ultimately is a uh, is a customer willing to pay for that and um and so that that's an important thing not because not just because the company has to make money i mean the company has to make money in order to survive right that's uh um we can't continue to invest in our research and development topics if we can't make money on the products that we produce today um so that's an important consideration but we have to look at whether the value of this um this new thing that we're trying to develop is enough that uh, that a customer is willing to to pay for it and so when uh to get back to your to your point about am i given a a number or am i given sort of a fuzzy range um usually it's a number but um but sometimes that number can be changed so for example in the course of a development we find that we can in fact um over deliver on our requirements so i mentioned design requirements earlier and those are sort of the those are the minimum things that we want to to provide um sometimes we're able to do more than that and if we're able to do more than that then we go back and say well is this additional benefit worth additional money to the customer and so those cost targets can change depending on that um that perceived additional benefit but um but typically you know that that cost target is a very important thing for me as a product designer because that tells me you know how how much can i spend how much can i put into this product in order to make it do what the, the customer wants and and very often um so if we if we think about the aspects of that cost um and and those are called cost of goods by the way that's what i deal with is the cost of goods meaning what does it cost my company to produce this product and have it ready for sale and when you look at cost of goods you typically look at um what are the costs of the raw materials that go into that product um what's the cost of it, it's known as conversion in order words how do i how do i transform those raw materials into the final product um that's known as conversion and then we look at the cost of packaging so how do i then present uh that that product to the customer in a way that maintains it's um <clears throat> again it's safety in a way that's attractive so they want to buy it uh in a way that allows it to to stay on the shelf for as long as it needs to stay on the shelf and still be um still work properly so those are the three major elements of cost that i consider and when i have a cost target i then have to look at that um those three categories of raw materials conversion and packaging and say how much of this total cost do i allocate to each of those individual areas and ultimately that tells me what manufacturing process i can use what kind of raw materials can i use and um and how you know what flexibility do i have around the packaging do you have a uh, power to go to your people above you and say uh I I could get a really good product that you want for a couple pennies more. Uh I do have that power. Yes. Yeah, so it's not a uh in in some cases I have that power. Let's let's put it that way. Um <laughs> usually the uh usually the target cost is not set in stone. Um <clears throat> but because again, just like customers make a value judgment on whether to buy our products or not, 
internally, we make a value judgment on how much we want to invest. And so, yes, if, um, in fact, I had an experience with that recently where I had two different manufacturing processes that produced a slightly different quality of end product. And, uh, and I was able to take samples of those, um, uh, those two different manufacturing processes to our marketing and our finance colleagues. And I said, okay, you can, and I'll make these numbers up. You can have this one for 10 cents, or you can have this other one for 13 cents. Um, you know, which of these do you prefer? And so in that case, there was a decision to adjust the cost of goods target and, uh, and select the one that had a higher, um, higher appearance profile and, and a more quality uh, look and feel because ultimately that's the image that, that we wanted to project for that particular product. And believe it or not, we're running out of time. So where are you in this dental true project that you've been working on? So I know you work on other products. Now, if we had more time, we'd talk about it, but uh, where, what stage are you at? So we have, um, we have released a couple of products that are in this category. And again, you know, we're, um, uh, I, I would say that this is something that never ends, right? Because we're always looking to improve. And so we take learning that we get from the previous products and we apply that to our next generation. And so we're always looking again to what benefit, what additional benefits can we provide to the animals and what additional benefits can we provide to the customers? And so it's a never ending process, but you know we have successfully completed the development and launch of several products and where we continue to work in that area and pursue some, some new opportunities that we hope will be even better for our customers. Does your, uh, what the competition uh, roll out, does that influence how you improve your product? It does. Yes. I mean, as there, as there are more and more products in the marketplace, then uh, pricing competition becomes important. But we also look um, at not just products for the United States, but we look at worldwide. So there are opportunities in other emerging, emerging markets in different parts of the world. And so we look at how can we present our products um, in those areas. And sometimes, you know, the, the ability of the customer to, um, to pay is lower in some of those areas. So we have to adjust our product profiles in order to match that uh, a little bit better. Very interesting. Uh, fascinating uh, what goes into a dog chew. And uh, just about every other product, I assume, has to go through these kinds of um, hoops to jump through. Absolutely. And I want to thank you, uh, Mark, for spending the time with me to give my listeners a better understanding of what goes on when they're picking a product off the shelf of veterinary office or uh, pet store. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. So this is the, the end of Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. Dr. John Hunt, your host. And remember, enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug. <laughs>